Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined joined us. Well, we've talked about the cancel culture on this program and how the Ohio Christian Alliance and Christians everywhere, conservatives everywhere, are actually victims of the cancel culture and being uh, censured uh, off social media and deplatformed, and we are in an all-out war against the progressive left in this country. And uh, it's a very serious matter, quite honestly. And earlier this year, uh, as this uh, we came out of 2020 in the political year, the pandemic year, and obviously it's overlapped into 2021, and we're in the throes of another surge of the pandemic right now. But um, our state attorney general was sending to me, he says, I've got a book you need to read. He said, this is Attorney General Dave Yost, said, Live Not By Lies, A Manual for Christian, Christian Dissidents by Rod Dreher. And he said, this is a great book to read. Then another friend, Mark Harrington of Created Equal in Columbus, said, you've got to read this book. And then he sent it to me in the mail, and I said, okay, I've got the hint. I'm going to read this book. And it actually is a very good read. And apropos to what we are all facing at this time, and I'm so pleased to have with us Rod Dreher, the author of the book, Live Not By Lies. He is the senior editor of the American Conservative and also the author of The Benedict Option. But we're going to be talking about his book, that was released, Live Not By Lies. Rod, welcome to the program. Chris, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm glad to hear that there's been such good word of mouth in Ohio about my book. Well, that's right, and we want to get it into the hands of a lot of our contacts, and so we're working on uh, getting a number of books into the hands of some of our key contacts, because I think that what you've uh, the subject that you've actually approached in this book is going to be with us for some time. We are in the throes of it here in America. And I'd like to just begin with your introduction. Uh, when you received a call, and actually it was from a gentleman who was an American physician, he told uh, you that uh, his elderly mother, who uh, was a Czechoslovakian uh, immigrant to the United States, had spent six years of her youth as a political prisoner in her homeland, and she had spent part of the Catholic. She was part of the Catholic anti-communist resistance, and she was now in her nineties. But she said to her son, "What I see happening in America is reminiscent of what I saw in my homeland of Czechoslovakia." And you know, Rod, we hear this from so many people who came out of uh, the communist uh, countries and the uh, uh, the Russian bloc and. They've come to America for freedom, and they said what they see happening in America today is reminiscent of the totalitarianism that they faced uh, in their home countries back in Europe. So tell us a little bit about how you got started on this book. Well, after I got that phone call, I thought that maybe this man's mother was exaggerating. You know, she my mother is old. She watches a lot of cable news, and she tends to get pretty afraid of the world, but I started after that asking anybody I would meet in my travels around the country to conferences and things, if they came out of the Soviet bloc, I would ask them, are the things you're seeing today, does it remind you of what you left behind? Chris, every single one of them said yes. And if you talk to them long enough, you'll find out how angry they are that Americans just won't take them seriously. 
So uh, I, I finally decided to investigate this further and to see what is it that they are seeing in our country that reminds them of what they left behind. And in the second half of the book, I traveled to Russia and to the former communist countries to talk to Christians who did stay behind and who resisted communism in the name of Christ. And I wanted to find out from them what their advice is for us, uh, for the the struggle that we face. And I got to tell you, they're really worried about Christians over here now. As they should be. And, you know, the work that we do at the Ohio Christian Alliance is to advocate for Christian uh, and religious freedom in uh, our state and nation and to fight back against an anti-Christian bigotry that is been encroaching more and more every year. You know, we see the war on Christmas. So we've dealt with that over the years as the ACLU has sought to cancel Christmas um, on public displays of the Nativity uh, or any kind of uh, religious public display, the Ten Commandments over the years, of course. Uh, and you can go to uh, a prayer in school and Bible reading in school, Ten Commandments hanging up in uh, public places. We've dealt with that over the last the decades. But what we see now is actually a canceling of the Christian faith in the public arena altogether, and the Christian ideal. So we see the baker in Colorado who uh, is a Christian man, and he will serve anyone who comes into his store, but he was asked by a gay couple to make a wedding cape, and he said, you know, that's against what I personally believe. And they began to hound him with lawsuits, and he has been sued multiple times, and he's been canceled, uh, he's been doxxed, and he's gone through all kinds of difficulty, yet he is a standing man, and uh, he is uh, an example of what we really need to do in resistance. But not everybody is of the same um, determination. People give in. They, they, you know, whenever the pressure's on, when uh, the group uh, mentality goes against the, an individual and what their personal convictions are and their religious beliefs, they begin to cower. They begin to surrender that position. Your thoughts? Well, that's exactly right. And we in the American church are not ready for what is right in front of us now. You know, the main thing I got from interviewing all these different Christians, Protestants, Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, and the former communist countries, is that the American Church has got to prepare itself to suffer for Christ and suffer for the truth. Uh, they say that if you don't, if you aren't willing and able to suffer significantly for the sake of Christ, whether it's suffering a loss of reputation, loss of your business, loss of your freedom, and even, God forbid, it should come to it, the loss of your life. If you're not willing to make those sacrifices, then your faith is in vain. It was a chilling thing to be standing as I was on the street corner in Moscow uh, with the snow starting to fall around us and listen to this white-haired elderly Baptist pastor, a man who had really suffered for his faith in his long life. He looked at me straight in the eyes, Chris, and said, go back to America and tell the church, you've got to prepare to suffer or you're not going to make it. Well, look, Chris, you know, you and here in our country, we've been so blessed with prosperity and with religious liberty for so long that we've gotten soft. A lot of us don't know what it means to make a sacrifice for God, but we had better prepare ourselves now because the time is here and the times are going to get much worse. We have got to be willing to take whatever they throw at us, but not move one bit. 
in our country, we've moved from a base of uh, Judean-Christian moral uh, base as a nation throughout our, our history, yet to more of a moral relativism that we've seen and progressivism that's uh, taken seed in the last number of years. And so Christians find themselves in very awkward positions. If they believe that a marriage is between one man and one woman, uh, that is almost considered to be bigotry at this point uh, in the general public, and that if you're not accepting of gay marriage uh, and or uh, either uh, in addition other arrangements as uh, moral relativism, you know, has its own encroachment into even more decadency. Christians find themselves in a very difficult position. They're being forced to say, well, two men can be, uh, you know, you can't uh, judge who you love. You know, I've heard this erroneous statement, but this is what the political left says. And um, they talk about that. And so the thought here in the title of the book, Live Not By Lies, which is the essay by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and I think that that's important because each individual who has a conviction of the truth has to remind themselves, I'm not going to live by lies. I'm not going to accept that two men can make a happy uh, union in their sexual activity. God created man and woman to join together, to make a family, to procreate, to create the nuclear family. I'm not going to live by that lie that the world is telling me right now that uh, two men can make a family and and be just as... Uh, uh, you know, sanctum as the family. Your thoughts? No, that that's exactly right. You know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, when he sent a message out, the last message he got out to his followers in the Soviet Union before they kicked him out of the country in 1974, he told them, listen, folks, we can't overturn this totalitarian regime, but the one thing we can do is to refuse to say that we believe things that we do not believe. And he said, this, if this is the only act of resistance you can mount is to refuse to live by the lies that they force us, they're trying to force on us, then you have to do it, however small the resistance. And I was so inspired by that, Chris, because this is where we are in America today. You know, we do not have gulags. We don't have the secret police. We don't have the things that we all associate with totalitarianism. But this is a softer form of totalitarianism. Because a totalitarian government is one that insists that there's only one permitted ideology and that every aspect of life has to be ideological. So this is how we have coming out right now, um, the, uh, like this, month during, this year during Pride Month, LGBT Pride Month, you had Oreo cookies and Pride colors. You had cereal for little children that celebrates gay pride and has on the side of the box encouragements for the kids to come up with their own pronouns. Just today, as you and I are talking, uh, I see that there's a commercial out showing Santa Claus getting a boyfriend and kissing his boyfriend. I mean, this is everywhere, and we have got to make a stand against it. I don't think we'll be able to stop it, but we've got to prepare ourselves and our own children to recognize what lies are being thrown at us all the time about sex and gender and race and not give in to it, even if it costs us our jobs. Reading from your book as well in the introduction, it says, uh, you will not be able to predict what will be held against you tomorrow. Uh, this is the woman warns. She says, you have no idea what completely normal thing you do today or say today that will be used against you to destroy you. Um, you know, we're experiencing that right now. I mean, 
when we think about, for instance, the vaccine mandates, and one of the things that our organization has been doing has been helping people file religious exemptions, you know, where uh, in this country, normally, you know, if a person had objections uh, to a medical procedure and they have their own right to what they uh, will want to put in their body. I mean, we have constitutional rights. So there are people that can't take the vaccine for personal reasons, uh, medical reasons, and religious reasons. And yet we're in the throes in Ohio that where all these companies are mandating the vaccine as almost a religion and saying you either take this vaccine or you're, you're unemployed. There's the door. First it was the hospitals, the medical clinics. Then it was businesses that were contracted with the federal government. Of course, a lot of this tyranny is coming out of Washington with the Biden administration with the vaccine mandate order. And so that you can't go into this uh, restaurant, you can't go into this grocery store, you can't go into this business if you're not vaccinated or show proof of vaccination. So people are beginning, you know, a few years ago, Rod, nobody would have ever thought that that be possible in this country. Yet, we're in the throes of it currently. Your thoughts? Yeah, 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 we are. And I look, I cards on the table. I'm vaccinated. I'm a middle-aged guy with autoimmune issues. I needed to get vaccinated, but I'm very much against vaccine mandates for exactly the reason you say. And here's the thing that frightens me, Chris, when I look forward. Uh, after COVID goes away, we will have established some, uh, we will have laid down some practices uh, that are going to be quite dangerous. We have seen, since the George Floyd thing came out, we have seen public health officials and uh, public uh, uh, civic officials like the mayor of Chicago say that racism is a public health issue. Okay, if they define racism as a public health issue, then what happens when they say that for the sake of public health, if you don't agree with critical race theory, then you will be treated the same way unvaccinated people were treated back during COVID. I really do believe they are laying down the framework for a social credit system in which uh, eventually all of us Christians who don't bend the knee and burn the pinch of incense to Caesar will no longer be allowed to buy or to sell. They already do this in China. Events are really accelerating. Just a few years ago, we thought of it more of a soft tyranny or or a uh, totalitarianism that was soft. Uh, Now we're seeing more of a hard tyranny coming down. Well, what's an example? Well, uh, where there would just be doxing and shaming someone and trying to cancel them or their business. Now we're seeing um, the federal government actually use law enforcement to use it to to intimidate public citizens. So let's take the school board meetings right now with parents coming and addressing issues in a public forum, which we have long heralded as the First Amendment right in this country. And I just saw a video this morning of a man in Texas. He just literally had his laptop. It was his time to speak. He went up in a civil manner. He began to address the members of the school board. But he, he was approaching a subject that they did not want to hear, and they called him out of order, and they called for two police of the community to come and arrest him. They drug the man away from the podium. I'm telling you, Rod, that's what I would call hard tyranny, but your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, and we saw uh, just uh, this fall, we saw the National School Board Association call on the Department of Justice to go after parents who were questioning what the schools were doing with their kids in terms of critical race theory. Um, saying that these people were, quote, domestic terrorists. And the government would have done that had the whistleblower not come forward. They would have gotten away with it. And uh, I, I just think that you know, we're not seeing the hard, terror, uh, hard tyranny except a few places 
friend there, like I just mentioned. But believe me, it's coming. And even if it doesn't come anytime soon, though, I want people to understand that we are in a time of soft totalitarianism, for sure, where you, a lot of us think that everything's going to be okay because that this is only something for young people or only in San Francisco or Boston, places like that. No, no, no. It's right here in middle America where a lot of us live. And our children are being propagandized by social media all the time. This is not something that we can vote our way out of. We Christians absolutely have to stay involved in politics, if only to protect religious liberty. But the things that are happening now in our country are beyond politics. It's cultural, and ultimately, it's spiritual warfare. That's exactly right. I'm looking at Chapter 3, Progressivism as a Religion. Explain that, what you cover in that chapter. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that wokeness, as we call it, is a pseudo-religion made up by left-wing people to fill the God-shaped hole in their souls. As uh, faith in Christianity has declined, especially among the millennials and Gen Z, they have filled that hole with uh, a political religion. Now, we had in the early 20th century two political religions, Nazism and Communism, that uh, wreaked havoc on the world. I think wokeness is a form of this, because and progressives really go at what they at their ideas as if they were religious. They believe in absolute right and wrong, and they believe that they, as left-wingers, know what right and wrong is. Uh, they believe that if they just get rid of the bigots, the Christians, and others who stand in the way of progress, that then finally we will have utopia. This is what Marx taught, and it, of course, is a lie. But they firmly believe it. And I've told, I've told my friends that if you want to figure out what wokeness is all about, don't think of it as politics. Think of it as religion. And then you see these people are Puritans. They're left-wing Puritans. They're left-wing fundamentalists. And they have no interest in talking with us and debating us and tolerating us. They just want to destroy us. We have seen this play out. Uh, obviously, our history as a nation has been under assault by the left and by wokeism. Obviously, the 1619 Project, as it was that the New York Times launched, uh, was meant to upend the, the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrims' Landing. Uh, the Pilgrims did not come for uh, any kind of subjugation of other people or uh, exploitation of the land or for treasure. They came to actually uh, find a new way, uh, a new uh, in the new world, to be able to worship freely and to raise their families, uh, and actually just different from what uh, Jamestown was, actually. Uh, and they didn't come in conquest, and that actually doesn't work with the political left's narrative because they were a peaceable people that actually made peace with the Native Americans that were there and uh, uh, actually treated them and uh, accepted them as brothers. And the peace treaty that the Pilgrims made with the Wampanoag Indians lasted for over 50 years before there was conflict. But So they had to upend that with the 1619 Project, then tear down statues of Christopher Columbus and uh, other of our uh, uh, founders uh, throughout our history, and, and of course uh, the founders of our country, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln even wasn't uh, exempt, you know, excused from this when they were just— te- when, they, when the left starts to mindlessly tear down history— uh, they don't really stop and check the facts. Your thoughts? No, they don't check the facts because this isn't about facts. This is about a narrative. This is about establishing a dominant story. 
we in the U.S. have got to realize the, the radicalism of the attack that we're under now. One of the great lessons of totalitarianism is that whoever controls the cultural narrative, that is to say the story that tells other people within the country who we are as a nation, those people control the future. So uh, what they're trying to do is gain control of the cultural memory of our nation. That's what it means to tear down statues and to dishonor the founding. They want to discredit the whole thing so they can replace it with a left-wing, secular, godless, um, you know, pro-LGBT, racist uh, uh, founding. And this is something that the people who lived under communism understand very well. One of the, the forms of resistance they said we have got to learn how to practice is protecting our cultural memory. That is to say, even if, uh, if our schools throw out history and, and suddenly start denigrating our founders and so forth, we have got to work privately to educate our own children about true history. Uh, this is why one reason I'm a big proponent of classical Christian schools. In the best universities in this country, they're throwing out study of the classics, of the Greeks, the Romans, of people of our past who all contributed to Western civilization. The only place you can find study of these people more and more is in classical Christian schools. I tend to think of classical Christian schools and the, the few colleges, Christian colleges that will teach the classics, as being like the monasteries were in the Dark Ages. These are the only places where they maintained the faith and the light of learning while the barbarians were roaming around, killing people and destroying. Those monks kept copying scriptures and also these books from the Greek and the Roman era so people could remember. We have got to keep up our cultural memory, Chris, there, because if our kids don't ever learn these things, then they're lost. That's exactly right. And one of the things I really enjoyed about your book, it really turned, and you even say that it has part one and part two. And when I got to part two, and you, you went behind what was the previous uh, Iron Curtain into the uh, former Soviet bloc countries of Czechoslovakia, Romania, Albania, and some of the countries, in the, and Russia itself, talking to these dissidents. These were Christians who fought against communism uh, and held on to their beliefs all through those decades. And, of course, it was almost as if you went on a spiritual pilgrimage. And I, I sense that in the writing of your book. And I really w enjoyed part two, because I could see that you, for you personally, it affected you deeply. Explain. Oh, it really did. You know, I, uh, the life that we live here in America is incomparably better in terms of personal liberties and material uh, blessings than the people back then of the communist world, but they were so much richer in spirituality. I, uh, I think often today about this man. He, he died in uh, 2012, but his name is Dr. Sylvester Kirchmeri. He was a young man of the 1950s who was part of the underground church in Slovakia. When they pulled him off the street uh, and threw him into prison, he laughed at the secret police. They said, why are you laughing? He said, because I've been waiting for this, and I thank you for giving me the opportunity to suffer for my Lord. That man went into prison, Chris, and he, uh, he writes in a memoir later, uh, published after communism fell, that he knew that he could never feel sorry for himself, because if he pitied himself, he would collapse morally and spiritually. What he did instead was to decide that he was going to see himself as being brought into that prison to suffer with Christ and for Christ and to serve the people around him in the prison. And that's what he did for a decade. 
As soon as they let him out, he got right back to evangelizing and under and building the underground church. That's the kind of mentality I heard over and over and over again in every country from Christians of different denominations. We have got to develop that within ourselves. Thank you, Rod. We've run out of time. Thank you. I'll have to have you back. Rod Dreher, Live Not By Lies. Thank you for being my guest. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust and we're back, and we're going to be continuing our discussion with author Rod Dreher of the book Live Not By Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. And we're going to be talking about part two of the book, which actually focuses in on some personal stories. These are the hidden heroes of those who actually resisted uh, behind the Iron Curtain uh, during the time of the communist rule in Eastern Europe and in the Soviet Union itself. And Rod, uh, actually, I really... You know, when I got to the midway of the book, that's when it really took a turn, and it got real personal for you, I could sense, as an author, as you met with these folks personally. And these were truly heroes who resisted against communism in the face of tyranny uh, during those years, and many of them uh, were advanced in the age at that time. So tell us a little bit about that part of the book for you personally. Well, that's when all the theory became very, very real, Chris. That's when I met people, some of whom had sacrificed their freedom by going to prison for years for Jesus Christ under communism. And, you know, that's when I began to realize the kind of personal conversion and personal courage that we Christians in America are going to have to develop if we're going to be able to resist what is coming towards us. And what, by the way, they believe is coming toward us as well. Well, the signs are all about us at this time, and, you know, lots of factors are in play. And some people may be listening to us and saying, well, 
there's still a lot that, you know, can happen for the good. And, of course, you and I both believe that. Uh, but we also need to be prepared as to what uh, is the change that's all around us, and that is this newer generation that's coming. And there's been a crossroads of generations, actually. The World War II generation has passed on. They actually fought against tyranny and oppression in World War II. They survived the uh, Great Depression. They uh, fought against tyranny in Europe and also uh, against the Empire of Japan and, and the atrocities in the East. And so they, that generation is gone, and even the baby boomer generation is advanced in age. But there's a next generation that's coming. And so they actually have been indoctrinated in the public schools on socialism, and they've actually gravitated towards that, and they, they've actually adopted it as a philosophy, almost as a religion at this point. When we talked about earlier in the uh, interview about taking down some of the historical uh, markers of our, of our society, of our, of, of our American republic, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, uh, some of our founders, even Abraham Lincoln uh, was not exempt from some of the uh, tearing down, of course, Christopher Columbus. And so what are they trying to replace it with? Their new identity of this new social e evolution. And so, you know, as folks get older like ourselves, uh, there's this newer generation coming along, and they're the ones who are going to be making the decisions. And unfortunately, they don't have the grounding. In fact, the Bible says, remove not the ancient landmarks. But we see just exactly that's what's happening in America. Your thoughts? Well, no, that's exactly right. And to make it even worse, in those countries, those former communist countries, the older generation has failed to pass on memories of what they went through to the kids who were born after the fall of communism. So uh, this is something that they are struggling with in their countries as well, because all I can figure is that, you know, after the end of communism, they didn't want their children burdened with the terrible memories. They thought they were doing their kids a favor by giving them a fresh start. The problem with that is these kids have now been raised on pop culture and media coming to them from the West over the Internet, and they have been brainwashed just as surely as our own young people have been brainwashed. So it really makes me happy that Live Not By Lies is being published in almost all of those former communist countries to help the young people there understand what their parents and grandparents went through. And, you know, I, I have to say, you're talking about the, the personal stories. I dedicated this book to the memory of this priest, this Catholic priest named Father Tomislav Kolakovic. Father Kolakovic uh, was born in Croatia, but uh, he was doing work against the Nazis during World War II when he got a tip that the Gestapo was coming for him. So he slipped out of the country and went to Slovakia, which is where his mother came from. He began teaching at a Catholic university there in 1943. He told his students, kids, the good news is the Germans are going to lose this war. But the bad news is the Soviets are going to be running this country when it's over. And the first thing they're going to do is come after the church. So we got to be ready. Father Kolakovic set up small groups of, for prayer and for study, but also for action. These young people would come together as Christians and talk about what was happening in their society and what they needed to do as believers to get ready for persecution. Within two years, these groups had spread all over the country. One thing that's so important about this story, Chris, is the Catholic bishops of that country t 
told the priest, you're scaring people for no reason. All the things you say are going to happen, they're not going to happen. So you need to knock it off. Father Kolakovich, though, had studied communism because he wanted to be a missionary to the Soviet Union. He knew how the communists thought. So sure enough, when the Iron Curtain fell over that country, it happened exactly as Kolakovich said it would. All those bishops were proven to be fools. And the first thing the communist government did was come after the churches. The reason there was an underground church in that country for the 40 years of communism was because that brave priest and the young people who believed him, who didn't laugh at him, but believed him, they got ready. I dedicated my book to his memory because I believe we are in a Kolakovich moment in this country now. And all of these people I talked to in the former communist countries, they gave practical information about how we can prepare. And they told stories that made it all very, very real, took it out of the realm of abstraction and made the threat real. Last year during the pandemic, we saw that the church in America was under a great stress like no time in our in recent memory, and that was that churches were closed by government authorities in a number of states uh, as they were closing down segments of our society just under the guise of stopping the spread of the virus. They were closing uh, places of worship, and there were churches that resisted against that, <clears throat> and of course California with uh, Pastor John MacArthur's church was nationally known of what happened there, even after months and months and months of um, of uh, discussion about how the virus actually spread. And then as more was known, they, they, their congregation just began to recongregate, even without the pastor calling for people to congregate. And then, of course, their battle in the courts and all was uh, nationally famed. But what we did find also, the stress test of the church in America during the pandemic. Many churches didn't fare so well. Some did very well. Uh, they found alternative ways to meet, whether it was online or maybe having outdoor services like the old, uh, uh, you know, meet in the parking lot in your car type of thing. Uh, and we know some churches that did that. They found creative ways to, to still congregate, yet uh, keep social distancing. But many of the churches actually didn't have those options. They didn't have an internet. Uh, their, their congregations were older. They weren't really... Uh, uh, computer savvy, and they suffered for it. And many churches we know here in Ohio actually closed. Pastors who were left the ministry under the stress of all that went on. So the stress test of the church is still we don't have a full report as to what actually happened. We'll have a better idea as we come into 2022, and even our own organization will get out there and we meet with a lot of pastors as we do in advance of an election for voter registration and voter education. But we're going to find out exactly how the church fared. But what the concern is there, many pastors have left the ministry, uh, even you know, mostly young pastors who weren't really, the, you know, I didn't bargain for this kind of thing, and they've left the ministry and churches have closed. Your thoughts along those lines as we go forward, if religion is the best uh, bedrock of resistance and the church has been weakened through this last uh, go-around with the stress. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it, what we've learned from this stress test, as you rightly call it, is that to be a faithful Christian in the world we're in now and the world that is coming into being is going to require unusual levels of commitment and courage and willingness to suffer. But it can be done. I, I can't tell you the hope that it gives me to sit there with these people who went through the worst of it and who came out the other side 
with their face intact, holding their head up high because they did not submit. But you can't just think that th- that you're going to have the ability to resist when the secret police show up at your door or the police shut your church down. You have to prepare yourself ahead of time. One of the great things that I, I learned was came from this woman, Camilla Bendova. She's an old lady now in Prague. She and her late husband, Václav Benda, were the only Christians who were in the inner circle of the top dissidents in that country, in Czechoslovakia. And uh, what they did was get people together in their apartment. They couldn't talk about politics, but they talked to them about literature, about history, about all the things that make up Czech culture that the totalitarian government was trying to erase from the collective memory of people. And they also prayed for people when they were going around the corner to the secret police headquarters for interrogation. Those Christians prayed up people, whether they were Christian or not. They gave them comfort and they gave them advice. And they gave them the courage to withstand torture for the sake of freedom. And in the case of Christians, for the sake of Christ. There's another great story from that country, too. This man, Sylvester Kirchmeri, he died in 2012, but he wrote a thin memoir Uh, in 1996 after communism ended, in which he talked about how he and other Christians survived torture and imprisonment. He said that the most important thing he did when he went into prison was to resolve never to feel sorry for himself, to offer all the suffering that was coming at him, that was going to come at him, offer it to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, I'm suffering with you. I know you brought me here for a reason. And uh, I'm going to be your servant here in this prison. That and regular prayer got him through it. And the memorization before he went to prison, the memorization of Scripture got him through it, too. That's incredibly important for us today. Uh, I should say, too, another man who's a lot like Sylvester Kirchmeri, a Russian named Alexander Ogorodnikov. He was a late dissident. He came from a very prominent communist family. uh, And converted to Christianity in the early 1970s and began holding prayer meetings in his apartment in Moscow. They put him in prison, the Soviets did, in 1978, and because he came from such a prominent communist family, they wanted to make an example of him. So they put him on death row, even though he didn't have a death sentence. He was there with the worst of the worst in Russian society. They put him in the cell with a bunch of prisoners, and they were hard, hard men, and uh, he told them that God loved them. And they said, your God doesn't exist. If we're, we're the worst men in Russia, and we don't even have cigarettes, if your God exists, tell him to send us some cigarettes. Well, mm-hmm. young Ogorodnikov said, look, uh, I don't think smoking is good for you. It's bad for your body. But God loves you so much that if that would bring you to him, I'll pray for cigarettes. So they got quiet, and they prayed for about 15 minutes. What do you know? But the, the window on the cell opens, and the guard threw a bunch of cigarettes in there. So many of those men, they went crazy. They said, your God is real. Your God is real. <laughs> and uh, okay. Yeah, can you imagine that? Uh, but well, I actually underlined that in the book. It's funny, the miracle of cigarettes, and I saw that. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was neat. Uh, but actually, like you say, for these men, it was a sign. And, uh, you know, I, I just thought that was a great story in the book. You know, when I think also um, in some of the issues, I actually have the book in front of me, and it brings back to me, and I'm going to read it again, actually. In this book, I need to reread. And by the way, folks, 
uh, we're going to make available um, this book also as a gift giveaway, so stay tuned for that. But when we talk about families, they resistant, uh, our resistance, since, 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 you know, my wife and I put great stock in our family. We had eight children, and we, we had eight children in a time when people weren't having big families, especially if you went into the ministry uh, on a meager income and, you know, and having uh, that size of a family. But we got through, and uh, the kids all enjoyed their, their upbringing and understand the importance of family and, and sacrifice, and they're all doing very well. But we all stay together in this sense. And last year when the pandemic was on and the shutdowns and all, we have four healthcare workers in the family. So we are sharing information about that and uh, basically sharing with each other uh, lots of information. It was kind of a, a very interesting test for uh, and resolve for some of us of uh, what we were willing, what freedoms we were not willing to give up last year and to uh, fight for the cause of liberty, even during the pandemic, when government, quite honestly, even here in Ohio, was doing some overreach, and um, and we were seeing it more aggressive in other states where they were facing more tyranny, as it were. But uh, it was a time in which we drew close together as a family, and I was so proud of how the family and the and the kids, even now that they're all adults, interacted with each other and shared information. That's so important uh, going forward for Christians. To under, you know that that's the cell that that starts all things uh, from there and the strength of the church quite honestly and that's you know what helps the pastors who are struggling is to have people like that in their church your thoughts well that's right uh, the this family I was mentioning earlier the Benda family in Prague they had six kids and of course the the mom and the dad and what's so interesting about them is they never once tried to shield their children from the fight. They let their children know that they were living in a totalitarian world, a world that was ruled by lies and force, and that their job, their mission in life as Christians was to resist it. But uh, what they would do, the dad would come home from work teaching, he was a professor, and sit down with his kids at the end of the day and ask them what they had learned at school that day. And he had to deprogram his own kids because they had to go to communist schools. But the mom, her role was to read to the children for two or three hours every day, even though she herself was a college professor, and even though she had to keep the family together when the government threw her husband in prison for his anti-government activities. I asked her, I said, Camilla, what, what did you read these kids? She said, well, I read the myths, I read them the classics, the kind of things they couldn't get to school. She said, I read them a lot of Tolkien. I said, that's so interesting. Why did you choose Tolkien? She looked at me square in the eye and said, because we knew that Mordor was real. And she went on to explain that the things that her kids learned about in Tolkien, the dragons, you know, the, the, the fellowship of the ring, all of these things they analogized to the fight that they were in, that their family and their family's friends were in, versus the communist government. So when the kids would see people, dissidents, coming to their mom and dad's apartment and, you know, for prayer or for discussion, those kids understood this as being like in the Lord of the Rings, like the Fellowship of the Ring. They couldn't possibly understand what communism was, but they could understand the Fellowship of the Ring. And uh, this taught me, and I hope that I conveyed this well to the reader, that we parents, we have to prepare our kids not just in the moment. Hopefully they'll have the right opinion when the time comes, 
But we have got to be feeding their moral imagination with good stories about what is true, good, and beautiful, because that's the sort of thing that will give them the inner resources necessary to resist. You spoke earlier of those who were imprisoned for their faith and that uh, the memory of Scripture, Scripture memory, was so important for them that sustained them during those times. And one of the things that we've emphasized is the family. And uh, when I actually, when I graduated from Bible school, I spent time with a, a uh, inner-city evangelical church, and actually uh, there were some men that were just saved and actually out of the bars and off the streets, and they had them in a navigator's program, and these men were riddling off like 80 verses word perfectly with a reference. And I just uh, graduated from Bible school. Now, I had Scripture memory, but it wasn't as practiced as that of referencing chapter and verse. So I started to shore things up and and actually uh, got involved with some of the uh, Navigator's memorization. At one point in my ministry, I had uh, 500 verses of Scripture memorized word perfectly. Of course, you have to work on that. Uh, Here now, years later, I still have lots of memory, but uh, as we get older, <laughs> some of it fades away. Yeah. But I, I do have, obviously, uh, you know, and of course, King James Version is very rhythmic, and so it's easy to memorize in that way. It's uh, in rhythm. But uh, this is what sustains it. We taught that to our children, also homeschooling. Uh, and we did a variety of home uh, schooling. We did homeschool, private school, and some public school. But always laying the foundation of the importance of Scripture to memorize it, to have it as your own. It's your own treasure because it's with you. If someone was to take away your Bible, you didn't have your Bible, you were in this situation where you were imprisoned for your faith, you would have the ability to be able to be encouraged. As the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God when everything turned against him. And the way to do that is to have Scripture memorized. Your thoughts? Oh, that's absolutely true. Uh, what is going to happen to us when they take our Bibles away? What is going to happen to us when, if we let our children sort of drift through life, uh, assuming that eventually they will come back to Christ, but they find themselves living in a world where to proclaim Christ is to put yourself in danger of losing your job and maybe going to prison. This is why it's important to plant those seeds now while they're young, and to plant it in ourselves, too, if we've forgotten it. I mean, I'm talking to myself as well. There's so much that I take for granted living in a country that has freedom of religion. But being over there and talking to these folks um, about what their experience was, they lost it overnight. After World War II, when the Soviets never left, um, those people found that their democracies were gone. And, uh, you know, uh, another thing that I, I think is important to point out, people don't often ask about this in interviews, but it, as my kids are getting ready to go to college and think about their careers, This is an important thing. Uh, I talked to this Orthodox priest, Russian Orthodox priest named Father Kirill Kaleda. This is in the book. Father Kirill came from a Christian family, but he knew that in the Soviet Union, if you wanted to rise up in that society and be somebody important, you had to be a member of the Communist Party. And they knew, his mom and dad knew that that would not work, that our kids will lose their soul if that happens. So the mom and dad raised them from childhood to know that, look, it's more important to serve Christ than to rise in this society. If you have to take a lesser job uh, to save your soul, then that is a good thing. Well, I think, Chris, that we're getting to that point in our society. When my middle son told me he thinks he wants to go to trade school and not to college, I said, son, 
I'll be with you 100% on that. Well, that's right. And, you know, these are the kinds of choices that our young people are making and, and, and really having that wisdom from above, of seeking God's wisdom and direction for your life is, is the best thing. I'm looking at this um, uh, Standing in Solidarity, Organize Now While You Can. Tell us about uh, the folks in Poland that were part of the Solidarity Movement, uh, Zofia and her husband. Oh, yeah, Zofia Romaszewska, she's the grand old lady of the Solidarity Trade Union Movement that overthrew communism. Uh, she told me that the most important thing for us Americans and everybody right now in the West is to organize. She said that totalitarianism depends on everybody being separated, feeling alone and isolated. She said, even if you're not coming together for any political or religious reasons, reasons still come together. Get out of your house, get away from your smartphone and meet everybody face to face and realize that you are part of a people. You are not this isolated uh, individual. And uh, I, I found that to be so refreshing because, look, we all do it. We all get stuck behind our laptops in front of our smartphones, and we forget that there are real people out there. And uh, this is something so important for us to do. She was so inspiring because, again, you know these people faced down the worst tyranny the 20th century had seen, and they came through, and they have so much wisdom for us. I'm so glad you asked me to tell these stories, Chris, because uh, the book, that, that's the strength of Live Not By Lies, are the actual real-life stories of these saints of God who came through without losing their faith. In fact, their faith was strengthened. Rod, this has been a, this has been a, a treat to, to interview you, and the book is Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher, a manual for Christian dissidents. And I think you've written what many are going to consider to be a Christian classic going forward. i got to tell you, friend, it's, it's a cherished book in my household right now, and I'm making sure that I'm giving it to folks as gifts for Christmas. And we did, we did find some places online to get your book. ChristianBooks.com actually has it at a very reasonable place. Where are some other places people can get uh, Live Not By Lies? Well, I like to send people to eighthdaybooks.com, a Christian bookstore in Wichita, Kansas, independent bookstore. But they, if they want to, they can get it from Barnes & Noble and Amazon and all that. But I prefer that people work with independent Christian booksellers if possible. Absolutely. And keeping to the theme of what we're talking about, <laughs> supporting one <laughs> another in these times. Rod, thank you so much for being my guest. It's been a great interview. And God bless you for your work, and again, just uh, congratulations on the book, and it's really touching a lot of hearts and minds right now. We thank you for it. Well, thanks so much, Chris, and Merry Christmas to you and your listeners, and keep hope alive. That's Amen. the message that I want to convey to them. Amen. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Again, that's Rod Dreher, the author of Live Not By Lies. And right now, if you call our office, we'll, we're going to give away a book. If you're caller number three, call 330 330- 887-1922. We're going to give you a book and send it out to you, Live Not By Lies. Caller number three right now. And again, if you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. And also the podcast, uh, Podbeam and other podcast uh, platforms, you can download uh, the interview and share it with your family and friends. This has been a great interview with Rod Dreher. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. God bless.
You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.